Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined, as I am every week, by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, I love the spring and it getting warmer and it's coming out of winter. I wish it would hurry up, though. Well, is there anything worse than when you find an ant crawling on you? No. Because for the, then for the, I mean, aside from a tick, a tick's worse than an ant. Right. Um, you, for the rest of the night, you feel like something's crawling on you. you I'm going to feel like something's crawling on me the rest of the night now just from talking about it. Just from talking it. about it? Yeah. Yeah. They just, there's something about that that just. Um, oh, and we've got so many ants in our backyard. Oh, it's, it's wild. See, this goes back to my pet armadillo. Yep. This goes back to my pet armadillo idea, or my armadillo the size of a German shepherd. I mean, your yard wouldn't ever look good ever again, but other than that. Well, yeah. Yeah, might, might do aardvark. I don't think, I think aardvarks use the tongue. I don't think they do as much digging. And aardvarks are the size of a German shepherd. Yeah, so, yeah, we need to go aardvark. Have you ever aardvark. seen one in a zoo? They're surpri- you think aardvark, oh, anteater, it's going to be, you know, the size of a chihuahua. No. No, they're huge. They're massive. Yeah, and I, I mean, you put one on a leash, walking around the neighborhood. Marty. Yeah, your na- your neighbors could collar at you. Hey, I got an ant. He'll come up in the backyard. Can you and Marty come over for a few minutes? <laughs> just bring Marty over there and let him just have at it. I, th- I thought you could charge you, for that you service. You could pull that off. I think so. I, I think, think you could have a pet armadillo or aardvark. I wonder if aardvarks are domestic, if you can domesticate an aardvark. I'm sure, I mean, not in one generation. Uh I bet you probably can't have one as a pet in the state of Tennessee. Probably not. Probably exotic animal. Yeah. Probably some sort of license. Yeah. I'm, I'm imagining it would. T- you'd have to jump through some red tape. And, well, then some yuppie would have to have an aardvarkadoodle. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm sick. I've I've had it up to here with yuppies and their doodles. Can I, we quit doodling every dog we see? <laughs> there should be a place for people like that. I'm sure there is. Uh, I. Yeah, the, the problem is they're adorable. The problem is they are very cute dogs. And because, so they, they suffer from the Dalmatian syndrome, in my opinion. Dalmatians are used to be very smart, very good-looking dogs. But then to keep the spots, they had to inbreed them like crazy. And now they're stupid or they just have really bad temperament issues. Like, I wouldn't take a Dalmatian if you gave me one for free. Even though we had one of the sweetest dogs in the world growing up was a Dalmatian. Sir Paisley Bartholomew was his name. And I, he was a great dog. What did you call him, Bart? We called him Paisley. Oh, okay. And he was just... But doodles are getting to that point now where because there's such a high demand, people that are breeding them are overbreeding their their dogs to the point that we're getting that you know golden retrievers very smart labradors very smart poodles incredibly smart and yet all these doodles are dumb as boxes of rocks well it was funny um a friend of ours he had charlie or harley which was a labradoodle Mm -hmm. and harley was the smartest dog ever harley was brilliant he was absolutely a wonderful dog the early labradoodles like i'm talking 20 years ago when they first became a thing were brilliant dogs oh absolutely tell him whatever to do he would do it walk him you know he was just great well he died died you know at six or seven he was a little early in his life yeah and all and then he went back to the same breeder from the same parents Picked up another doodle, and it was dumb as a brick, Charlie. Mm-hmm. And Charlie was just dumb as rocks, and all. And that kind of oh, that kind of inconsistency bothers me. There's there's something about a dumb dog that's really endearing, though. Well, yeah, because you know he can never make it on his own. <laughs> right? Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> and they're not very challenging to raise. But yeah. anyway, which, which is why this guy being so smart is really a <laughs> thorn in my side from time to time. Well, it's funny. The whole time he just, he came in today and just laid down. And I'm like, man, at what point is he going to jump up? And yeah, yeah, I imagine right as we're trying to wrap up the show again this week, he's going to get he's, that second win. Get, yeah, and kind of going a little nuts. But he's being very good right now. Well, but quick, anyway, let's light a cigar while we have time. So I'm smoking the New World Dorado, but we got a box of the Figurados in. Yeah, have you had one of these yet? Yes. Um, I Actually, the first one of these I had, we had um, AJ sponsor the poker game, and the winner 
got a set, a really nice set that had five figurados and a coin and all that stuff in it. Just beautiful little set. Yeah. That he brought for swag for the winner of the poker game. And the winner of the poker game handed me one of the Dorados and I smoked it in the figurado and I said, man. That's the size that cigar should always have been. Really? It's that much better than the other? Because the other yeah. one's phenomenal. Yeah, it's better. Wow. And so we got a box of them in, and they've not sold real well. People are people can't get over the mass versus cost. They're $2 more yeah, so what, than 15? the Toro. That, yeah, fourteen ninety five something yeah. like that. They're $2 more, and for some reason, people cannot bridge that $2 to go to the Figurado from the Toro. I kind of get it, because I'm that... I mean, $2 is a big jump just for size and shape. I, I realize the, the effort that goes into that complexity and you know the, the skill that it takes to roll, yada, yada, yada. Like, I understand all that. But when you know it's going to be if not just as good, so close it's not worth $2 of difference, I can see why it would be hard to pull the trigger on that. Yeah, and I guess that's, you know, I I know the Dorado well, so I know when the Figurado, and on, of course, Figurado always, you feel like you're getting a tight draw, tight draw till you light it. Right. You can't really cold draw a Figurado because it's tapered on the end to such a point. Right. That's I, I smoke a lot of AJ, as you know, and, and as everyone who listens knows, and, and they do a, a shaggy foot or a is that closed foot? Mm-hmm. And they do a closed foot a lot, and inevitably you'll I'll draw one and go, oh my goodness, I am in for trouble. Oh wait, no, hang on, and then you get it lit, and it just instantly. I kind of like that. What's behind door number one aspect of lighting a cigar? Well, the one of my friends in here one night, he had cut his cigar like three times. He was way down took a deep cut and he said hey can i borrow your pick i can't get this thing to draw and i looked and said isaac it's a closed foot <laughs> he's like oh i said yeah it won't draw till you light it right. <laughs> so always if but whenever you get a cl- tight draw cigar cast tip check check the foot be sure yeah. it's not a closed foot but it's a nicaraguan puro uh habano sun-grown wrapper it's just an outstanding stick man it's just hard to beat this particular stick and uh, what are you going to smoke? So I'm actually smoking a cigar that I bet will surprise you that I have never had before. This is the Leaf by Oscar Maduro. I have never smoked a Leaf by Oscar product. And it's because I thought it was a gimmick. When it first came out, I was like, that's stupid. It's ugly. It, there's no way it's good. It's all about packaging and marketing. It's, And that was what? 12 years ago? Been a long time. Uh, if it stuck around this long, it might be good. It's an excellent cigar. Um, we went through a surge of them selling here at the store when we first got them. Everybody liked them. I like the Sumatra better than the Maduro, but the Maduro is good. And, of course, the number one question everybody asks, well, do I have to take this leaf off this wrap? Yes, treat it just like the cellophane. Take it off just like the cellophane and light your cigar. I wonder... How many times one of those has been lit that the wrapper just went wildfire all the way up the side? Oh, I'm sure it does. It does make me question though. If you bought a box, or I guess they sell them in bundles, don't they? But if you yeah, they're bundles. If you bought a bottle, of, uh, if you bought a bundle of twenty, would you have enough in wrapper leaf to roll your own cigar <laughs> to get the final cigar? Yeah, is it is it buy twenty get one free plus a little some effort? Assi- some assembly some required. Some assembly required. <laughs> And I, well, Ikea cigars. The other thing that Oscar has done, and listen, fellas, cigars are a culture and a gentlemanly pursuit. So Oscar created a wrapperless cigar. And I'll am headed at the market, headed at the show, you know, they're talking about it, and they're having trouble getting people to order it. Do you know why? Because they decided to call it the raw dog. Yeah, that's that's. You know, we're we're grown ass men. Yeah. Really, do we need that kind of humor in our cigars? This kind of goes back to my whole thing about the accessories shaped like munitions. Mm-hmm. Like, no, like this is a it's a more of a gentlemanly, refined kind of endeavor. I I don't want to shoot a hole through the end of my cigar, and I certainly don't want to people. Knowing that I'm raw dog in it in the cigar shop. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, 
what marketing genius decided that was the way to go? That had to be something that the owner or one of these super high up executives is a little immature. Well, is it? Oh, this will be funny. You know, there was. I, I I hesitate to bring this up because you and I are both friends with someone who's who's going to be indicted here on this statement, but it's kind of like when people use the abbreviation BAMF. And, like, we all know what it means. It's... But I don't, I don't need that level of... Uh, We're not 14. Yeah. You it, know... It's just because you use the F word in your, in your cigar name doesn't... Like, it's not going to make me giggle. It just, it. I don't know. It's it's weird that I find, I've got a mouth worse than anybody in this shop. I know that. So it's weird that I would be put off by something like that. But for whatever reason, it does. It just, it just seems a little childish. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that you're like, you know, this ain't a locker room. We're not fourteen. Right. But anyway, moving forward. From Cigar Journal, but there's been an article everybody's had. This is sweet. It's a good cigar. I think you're really going to be impressed. No, I mean like like honey. It tastes like honey. Hmm. That's interesting. I wouldn't have expected that out of a Maduro, but I'm liking it. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Florida sun-grown tobacco spring crop completely destroyed. So, yeah. So this news came out on Saturday. They had a freak hailstorm in Claiborne, Florida, where Jeff Borowitz's farm is, where they grow the tobacco for the Florida sun-grown. Right. And a freak hailstorm came through and just demolished. I mean, it all looks like leaves. a shredded lettuce salad out there. Oh, just totally demolished his entire crop. Um, there is no insurance on premium cigars. You can't buy insurance on premium cigar crops and all. Really? And our I see people always say that. I would say, okay, strictly speaking, you can buy insurance on anything. Right. Just at what point does the cost of the insurance eclipse what you could ever recover? Well, but is that true for all crops? Like, can I, if I had a wheat farm, can I insure the yield of that farm? I feel like, I I don't think that's necessarily a, a tobacco thing because... We know that manufacturers of tobacco products are not liable. So if, if you smoke a pack of Marlboro Reds a day and get lung cancer, you can't sue Marlboro, and certainly not the people who grew the crop that caused you to get lung cancer. So I, I, find it, I would find it strange that an insurance company is saying, because it's tobacco, no, you can't insure this. Well, but what, you know... So insurance's favorite term is act of God. This We're not responsible. This is an act of God. Well, pretty much anything that happens to a tobacco crop well, would be classified. Well, except lightning striking your house is an act of God, but that's still covered by your homeowner's insurance. So it's, it's not always... It's force majeure is the, the Latin term that they apply, and it's... It, it usually comes down to things where, you know, there's no liability, there's no culpability, there's no negligence, and, and, and that would certainly fall in this case. But, I mean, a hailstorm in Florida is not unheard of, but it's not super common. One with big enough, one that would destroy a, a crop would be, would be considered rare. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm wondering if that's, if it's a thing where, you know, because farming in this country... You never know if boll weevils or some other kind of uh, Japanese beetle, um, all kinds of things that can affect your crop. I, I, I would be surprised if there were if there were any insurance company that actually covers the yield of the crop itself. Well, yeah, because there's too many factors. Okay, exactly. and I think that's what's at play here. If probably. I insure it and then don't take care of it and just try expect to collect the insurance on it, that would you know. Right, it's like your homeowner's warranty doesn't cover your lawn. Right, because there's upkeep and maintenance required. But so the number one question everybody asks is, oh, can you use the? Can you use it now that? And if you see these pictures, it just looks awful. Could you use this for filler or binder? And still retain some of the crop. And the answer is no. Because you can't ferment it in that state. Right. There's no way to hang it. There's no way to ferment it. There's no way to treat it. There's the only... And what he's going to do is he's going to let the seeds, let the flowers bloom. 
let the Florida sun-grown tobacco, the bees have it, and let them get their honey off of it and harvest the seeds for the September crop. All right. So it's not a total, total loss, but that's it's still pretty... Could you eat tobacco? I don't know. I mean, it's it's vegetation. It's not toxic. I mean, would would... I guess, better question. Would you eat a tobacco salad? I'm a terrible one to ask about that because I have trouble eating a romaine salad. <laughs> well, I don't really like romaine either, but I do love a good spinach and... You'll be a good person to ask this. Because you, you enjoy a fine dining establishment from time to time. Right. I went out to eat... Uh, was it last week for a work thing? And we went to this place in Murfreesboro called the Chop House. It, it's a steakhouse. When I go out to a steakhouse, I expect these days, because it's so popular, spinach and strawberry salad. It's on every menu. Like, it's, a, it's kind of a fad, whatever. It's one of the few salads that I actually like because I don't like salad dressing. Right. So spinach and arugula, really bitter, but the the goat cheese or the feta and the strawberries really balance that out. And I don't need salad dressing. It's brilliant. I felt like a steakhouse that's asking, you know, $36, $40 an entree would have a spinach and strawberry salad. Am I just out of touch? Well, I'm the least salad person in the world to ask. Right. But... Yeah, it would look like they would make that one of their offerings that, hey, we're going to have fine dining options that yeah. perhaps we should step our salads up a notch. But it is a steakhouse. So this crop was totally destroyed. He's going to let it go back to seed. But from aficionado, while we're on the topic, Cuba faces smallest tobacco crop in history. You know, when I read this article the first time, it totally was lost on me, the fact that this was coming from Cuba. Which kind of affects our commentary on it a little bit. Where did you think it was? I just wasn't paying attention. I was, <laughs> I was driving. Leave me alone. So the Pinar del Rio region in western Cuba, where most countries' tobacco is grown, is facing a bad harvest, but it's because they don't have... It's not the tobacco. It's all their barns got knocked down by Hurricane Ian. So this hurricane hit and knocked down all these tobacco barns. So they've got the tobacco, but they don't have anywhere to hang it, to cure it, to ferment it, to all of these. Jeff Borowitz has the place to hang it, to ferment it, but doesn't right. have the tobacco. Yeah, it look, looks like Cuba and him would strike a deal. Hey, we'll, we'll rent you barns for a crop. But, that, but the fact that it's Cuban tobacco is why that, that couldn't work. So you would think, well, in a capitalist country, somebody would have a way to do this. You would have somebody that had, okay, here's some low-cost fermentation barns we can put together in a hurry. Right. You know, in a communist country, they're they're not going to be able to, you know, no, there's no benefit to anybody actually doing anything, so they're not going to. But um, it's going to be interesting in what effect this actually has on the final crop. Yeah. So... We'll see how that turns out. Of course, it won't affect us much as it will just affect Cuba. Right. And places that have access to Cuban tobacco. Yeah. So, But I thought it was an interesting article. Habano SA, the marketing monopoly and distributor of Cuban cigars. (laughs) And it says, we will do our best to guarantee. So they're prioritizing all the barns to wrappers. Gotcha. They're like, okay, all our wrapper leaf, we've got to get out. And then, so I wonder if this will move along more Cuban blends, you know, obviously not for sold in the United States, but if you'll see more Cuban blends moving out, or even if it's not the United States, okay, let's, let's call Canada or let's call, right. you know, there's, there's got to be somewhere they could take this tobacco and treat it. It does raise a question to me, though. Let's say, what I guess, what is preventing a company in Nicaragua, for example, from buying the tobacco off of Cuba? Assuming, assuming the Cuban government would allow this to happen, right? Someone in Nicaragua says, we'll just buy the crop from you. We'll, we'll buy it. We'll, we'll hang it. We'll ferment it. We'll do everything. But just, just give us the raw leaves. What would prevent them at that, at that point? It's going into a Nicaraguan cigar made by a Nicaraguan company. What's preventing that from coming into the U.S.? That's interesting. You wonder where's the line? Because no one's done it. Right. Right. Which makes me think either 
there's something in the U.S. that says, you know, not even downstream, you know, components to to a product can come in, or what's more likely the case is that Cuba says, no, we're not exporting. Far more likely that, yeah. the, because like I said, it's it's just not, the problem with communism is there's no profit for the common man to work harder. Right. Because one of the reasons it just never has worked in the history of man as a system is human nature is to work hard for yourself, not for the community. <laughs> so, or for the government. Have you watched the Tetris movie that I told you about yet? I have not. I think you would really enjoy it. I'll have to take a look at it. No, I'm, I'm going on a trip this week, so I may have time this week to there sit down is. and watch a movie or something. So, speaking of governments, a government doing something right, from Half Wheel, Montana's 35-cent premium cigar tax cap headed to the governor. So, this is heading to the governor. Um, Charlie Minato wrote this. And really, you know, we touched, we won't, I don't want to belabor the point here. We touched on this when they first started talking about this cap on the cigar tax and what a good idea it was to just say, okay, we're going to cap these taxes at this rate. Yeah. It's nice to see the bill get passed. On April 24th, the Montana House approved the bill by a vote of 70 to 28 with two abstaining. Who abstains from that? You know, I'm sure there's a, a great explanation for the you know, for the theatrical no vote, is what I would call that. You know, I'm here. I choose not to vote on that. There's got to be a reason. Yeah. Uh, to, me, to me, someone who does a lot of abstaining has no business in Congress, because that's what your job is, is to go there and vote. It'd be like me saying, I'm not going to draw a plan. Right. You can go ahead and pay me. Yeah. I'm just not going to draw you a plan. Well, it, it makes me wonder if maybe there was significant pushback from constituents. Maybe, let's say his constituency was split 50-50. He got 100 letters. 50 of them said, absolutely do not pass this or you won't get voted. And the other half said, absolutely do not pass or do pass this or you won't get voted. And he said, all right, look, this <laughs> I didn't vote for it or against it. <laughs> Well, I'm skipping ahead in the order because while we're talking about legal proceedings, and I figured we'd go ahead and cover this before we get to the second half of the show. A popular triangle pizzeria closed its dining room in February, and they're actually suing the landlord and the cigar shop next door. See, I can see how you might sue the landlord, but it's not the cigar shop's fault. They're a tenant. They paid the landlord. They had a lease. They did every... Assuming they, you know, honored the lease to the letter, they're not culpable here. It's the landlord's responsibility to maintain an equitable space for all of his tenants in, in line with their lease. Well, and here's the question. So, they, you know, we've went through this here. Yeah. Of getting their filtration right. We've got blue oxes. We've got rabbit airs. We've got a huge direct vent that's actually been a huge improvement on the shop. Yeah. And all this set up to establish negative pressure in this environment so that the cigar smoke is handled here and doesn't go next door over. The actual breaking point here was the place next door kept complaining, so we had their their air system checked out. Well, their air system was set up where they were. Their exhaust fan was not working, and so they were only drawing air in. They were only drawing air in. They wasn't pushing any air out. Right. So anything that goes outside was coming into their place, and we just finally told them, said, "Hey, get your unit fixed, and then complain." Right. But till you get your unit fixed, we don't want to hear a word from you. And I, this kind of feels like that. That might be something that's going on. Yeah, it, it, it's likely some combination. I do. I think the, the responsibility here is entirely on the landlord. You know, if it, and I also wonder if it was really that big a problem. You know, oh, we had to close our. We had to close our. our the people who are complaining about the smoke smell, presumably, are now still going to get their pizzas to go. So the people that didn't care about the cigar smoke smell now have to get their pizzas to go. You closed your dining room. Why? 
Let the market decide. Like, and here's the thing. Good pizza will sell. Right. What I've had to go to some back of the woods, back alley places for good pizza because it was good pizza. Right. And people don't mind going out of their way for good pizza. Yeah, but I think this I this idea that we had to close well you're still you're still operating in the same space. So presumably the people that were complaining are still ordering from you. So why not leave the dining room open for the people who don't care? This seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot and then blaming the guy who sold you the gun. Yeah, and the so the pseudo-ledge is the constant presence of smoke from the cigar bar, bar has hurt business. And they're estimating they've lost $25,000. Okay, again, maybe it's because I always deal with houses. Does 25000 bucks seem like enough to make or break a pizza business? Yeah, margins on food, in particular pizza, are, are very slim. So... It doesn't say over what timeline. Yeah, and they're also. Um, so I mean, yeah, you know, twenty five thousand in a month will kill you. Twenty five thousand in a year will still hurt you. Twenty five thousand since the cigar bar opened is nothing because that was three years ago. Yeah, and that's what they're talking about. They're saying claims to have lost at least twenty five thousand dollar due to its smoke and decision to close the dining room. So, I guess that's my question: is why would you? One, I also want to know who was there first. Was the cigar bar there first, or the, was the pizza place there the first? The pizza place was there first. Okay, so the pizza place was there first. Presumably in three years, if they didn't want the cigar lounge in, they would have spoke up to the landlord prior to that anyway. Right. So I don't really get where this lawsuit comes from. And, I, and admittedly, I am partial. Well, admittedly, of course. that we both I, are. <laughs> you know... I, I think if you have a cigar bar next to you, you understand that there is the opportunity for smoke. But the place next to us was a nail place. And they said, oh, our customers are complaining about the smell of smoke. And I said, well, every employee you have is standing out in front of there smoking cigarettes right. during the day. So, of course, they're smelling smoke. It's on your employees because they're standing out here smoking. I also think a lot of people smell with their eyes. When it comes to places that, you know, places in a strip center or, or a combined space where they see someone smoking, they're, oh, they just instantly smell it, whether they actually smell it or not. I'm also going to take a page out of your book here, and I'm going to work your side of the street for a second. Hey, pizza place, if you don't like who's moving into the space next to you, buy the building. Right. If, if you want to have control over who your neighbors are, own your property. Right. And, but as long as you're leasing from somebody else, they get to determine who your neighbors are. You don't. Or create a lease with the, you know, my lease has an out clause. Right. And a good lease will have an out clause in some way, form, or fashion. Right. Usually and, for both parties. Yeah. And that that makes a big difference. But they're talking about that that's going to be a big deal. So... We'll keep you updated. It'll be interesting to see when this goes to court how this actually progresses as part of that. But why don't we step away for a break? Benny's getting a little restless. We'll step away for a minute. When we get back, I want to talk about PCA and who's coming back to PCA and the world's top dart player. All right. We'll be back with that more after this. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man. He's read dozens of books about heroes and crooks and learned much from both of their style, Mr. Trey Dedman. It's all about the balance, you know? You got to learn know, a little from each. What interests me about that lyric and all is when Jimmy wrote it, he said dozens of books. I don't know anybody that's read dozens of books. I know people that have read hundreds of books or I would five say, books. I would say I've read dozens of books. I have to, if I had to put a number on books that I've read in my life, it'd have to surpass a thousand at this point. I'd have to be well beyond a thousand and all. And hundreds of books would work, but he chose dozens. That's a that's an interesting choice. What's what's funny about that to me is I use dozens as a unit of measurement all the time. So how many is dozens? 
about 46, 48, I mean. Somewhere in that neighborhood. So you're saying four dozen? Yeah, well, or just do- multiple dozens, but usually when you get into that sort of something that you could count but would rather not, yeah, it's somewhere between 24 and 100. Just dozens as a unit of measurement, seems like. It's like a fortnight. See, I, I use fortnight all the time, too. Well, when was the last time someone said to you, I'll see you in a fortnight? <laughs> or 23 fortnights from now, we'll be well, back in this place. It, it's, it, that's what's, it's a funny sort of linguistic thing that there are certain unit of measurement, units of measurement that have both a basement and a ceiling. And so, you know, obviously, if you're talking about a fortnight, it's got to be at least two weeks. Right. But if you get to a point where you're at like, let's see, you know, two fortnights a month, I could see that. But beyond that, like, it's not a unit of measurement that allows itself to be used, you know, multiple times. You're not going to say four fortnights, six fortnights. If this was a home plan podcast, I could do a whole show on strange units of measurement people have tried to give me on when I say, well, how big would you like your shower? And one old guy said, well, big enough to cuss a cat without getting hair in my mouth. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm going to need a number. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm not sure how big a cat, how much hair, what's the, why are you cussing it? (laughs) You know, I've I've often wondered about that. To me, that's a small shower. Is that a small... Yeah, you wouldn't think it would... I wouldn't think it would take much square footage to cuss a cat without getting hair in your mouth. And then you start wondering, okay, is this a double entendre? Does this mean, you know, exactly how does this work at all? But I I could do a whole show on strange units of measurement that people have tried to pass off to me in my office where I've just had to say... And granted, I have more than my share of colloquialisms that I utilize. Can we talk about why we measure horses in hands while we're at it? This is the weirdest, and I realize, you know, just on paper, it's no weirder than foot. I realize that. But the fact that horses are the only things we still measure, oh, he's 18 hands tall. Is is that a huge horse or is that a pony? I don't know. And I've often wondered, you know, I often thought the hand thing had to come from very rural times when not everybody could read or write or things like that and the hand was just a a handy measurement maybe but like pun. how many ranch hands and are they standing on each other's shoulders or are they laying you know front to back well yeah and whose hands <laughs> yeah i mean you know mine and your hands would be 18 hands would be a pony but our buddy alex that plays poker with us 18 of his hands is a Clydesdale. right so, you know, whose hand, what's, what's the standard hand? You know, carrots. Carrots came around because a carrot seed is very consistent and you could measure weight via carrots. Right. So I've, I've just wondered about these, the colloquialisms of measurement <laughs> and all, but from the Irish sun, they're on your side, laddie. <laughs> Irish sun. I had, a, I had to do that. I had an old friend that always tried to do the worst Irish accent in the history of man. Irish accents are one of those that I tend to hear a lot of bad ones more than I do good ones. Well, and the, the Irish and the Scottish accents, most people use the same accent for both of those. They do. And what's, what's interesting, if you don't listen to just a whole lot of BBC, I'm guessing, but they have a lot of Scottish and Irish uh, you know, anchors, pundits, whatever. The thing that makes the Irish and the Scottish accent work is not necessarily the accent itself, but it's the colloquialisms that they use. And no one, unless you're part of that culture, you can't get those right. Right. So from the Irish Sun, the world's leading dart player went to Las Vegas and bought a $200 cigar and a $900 bottle of Don Perignon. So this guy, his name is Bully Boy. Of course it is. (laughs) And I'll um, talked about how busy his schedule is as the top darts player in the world and how difficult it is to have time off. Is is darts that hotly contested? Is there I've you know in the UK and Europe? Absolutely. Oh so it's a European thing. Yeah. Well this is the Irish Sun after all. It's it darts never really took off in this country, but 
I I will tell you when there's like a big major dart tournament on, I love watching it. The announcers, you would think they were calling play by play at the Super Bowl. I mean, they get into it and they're shouting and the crowds are going nuts for a couple of guys throwing three darts each at a tiny little board 20 feet away. So do you use your own darts or do you bring darts? Yeah, you bring your own darts. Everyone, in fact, I still have a couple of sets. Back back in my bar going days, we would specifically choose to go to places that had dart boards because it becomes, it's, it's better than pool. Because it moves faster, you don't have to compete for the dartboard oftentimes. And, yeah, so I had two or three different sets of darts based on the board we were playing on, based uh, on a number of different things. So, yeah, they're weighted differently. They're balanced differently. You can change the little flights out that change the way it flies and everything. There's, there's a lot to be... There's a lot you can do. Well, you know, there's a great story about Harley Race, legendary world champion professional wrestler. Harley Race loved to shoot pool. Harley Race would walk into a pool hall where they had the quarters lined up on the side of the table for I'm next. Mm -hmm. Harley Race, his move was to walk in, pick a cue stick up off the wall, lay it down, and just throw all of those quarters on the ground and say, I'm next. Anybody got a problem with that? (laughs) And you you just have to know You got to be a certain kind of guy to pull that move off. Well, there's only two men in the world that Andre the Giant feared, and that was Harley Race and Haku. Okay. So that tells, you know, there's pictures of Hardy Race holding Andre the Giant in a vertical suplex. That, okay. And he w- he was a big man, but he wasn't a tall man. Yeah. But anyway, so moving forward, talking about the dart guy. So he wins the dart, and then he goes and wins a $12,000 jackpot at the slot machines in the casino also. <laughs> so this guy's on a roll, man. Yeah. <laughs> and all. But he talks about the, the hectic career of a dart professional darts player and I, I just don't know i don't think i would aspire for my children <laughs> to do that it you gotta think though his wife is probably one of the happiest women on the planet i mean if you if you think about it let, let's make believe you're a woman for a minute and you're looking for a husband based on occupation alone you know uh, doctor lawyer those things you're gonna yeah things are nice you know you've got lots of money but there's a lot of time spent away from home as a result of that right so there's not a whole lot of time professional dart player makes a good living and is really good at finding really specifically small areas <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that because I because I'd already put I guarantee his wife comes out of the bathroom three times a week so you can win the world dart championship but you can't hit the dang bowl you hit the lid you hit the seat you peed on the seat again I, I think he makes up for it in other areas. in other areas okay we're gonna leave that one right there Florida La Centilla's 10th anniversary limited edition 2022 this from half wheel you know, this is going to sound weird. This article made me feel old. You know, there have been a lot of cigars that have come out since I started smoking cigars. The Undercrown was one, and they did their 10th anniversary last year or two years ago. Um, seeing that this cigar was 10 years old, when I remember when it came out and I started smoking, that made me feel old. See, this did the opposite for me. Because the Florida Las Antillas has such a classic band, I assumed it was a lot older cigar than it is. Yeah. Because of the classic look of this cigar. I mean, even the wrapper, the presentation of this cigar, does this not present itself as a much older cigar than it actually is? Oh, it does. But, I mean, when you think about how long my father as a company has been around... We think that they've been around forever, but they were relatively new. I, the the DPG Blue Label, when it came out, I had just started smoking, so that was 04. I think it maybe came out in 03. So the, the company itself has only been around for 20-some-odd years. Well, and it is an excellent cigar. We have a meeting with my father in a couple of weeks, and it is one of the ones on my hit list to say, okay, you want to come in here, we need the FDLA. Yeah. We need the, this. the 10th specifically? Or no, just, no, just the, the F. I don't like the 10th because I don't like the coffin. Listen, cigar companies, charge me two bucks less a stick and forget the coffin. I, I don't like a coffin either. It's, it's unnecessary. 
Well, and if it's I awkward. want a box, I'll buy a box. Right. What do you do with it afterwards? Use it to keep, you know, you can't keep, keep much change in it. I mean. I throw it in the fireplace. The utility of a cigar box is amazing. The number of things you can keep in a cigar box, ink pens, you know, business cards, your hopes like and that. dreams. Yeah, the number of things you can keep in one is dramatic, but the number of things you can keep in the the little coffins is really limited. Yeah. So three pins and a penny. <laughs> this is supposed to be. This. I will say, are they still making the promesa? Yes. That would be one I would put top of the list, too. You know what's odd? A cigar we get asked for a lot. Probably the most requested fa- My Father's Cigar we get in here. Is it the La Promesa? Is the it Le Bijou? Really? More people come in here and ask for the judge. And I don't think that's one of their better cigars. I don't think it is either, but it's the size that gets people, I think. Well, this is going to be a slightly tweaked blend. It's only going to come in boxes of um, 12. And production's limited to 5,000 individually numbered boxes. MSRP at $40 a cigar. So, whoa. Yeah. Going right. For a regular production that runs 10, 12 now? 12. That's a jump. So, and the FDLA has always been one of my father's more economically priced cigars. So, it's 3x the price. As good as that cigar is, can you imagine anything they could do to it to make it worth $40 a stick? No, because either the blend is completely different, in which case, why call it the FDLA 10th anniversary? Or, yeah, or it's not worth what they're going to charge for it. Unless that's $16 worth of a coffin. Right. So, I don't know. It'll be inter- it'll be interesting to talk to them next week. We've never had them here in the shop for a variety of reasons that I won't go into, but... Um, we're going to be talking to them. We'll see kind of what, because, you know, you got to have the Jaime Garcia. You got to have the Don Pippen. Get it in the Toro. Yes. No one carries the, the Jaime Garcia Toro. It, it's either the Robusto or the, um, or the Gordo. That's all I ever see it in. Well, in the limited amount of time we talked to them last year, that was one of the first things they told us is, oh, yeah, we don't have any Jaime Garcias. Okay, well, then why am I talking to you? Yeah. So... Moving forward from Half Wheel, Altadis USA, Drew Estate, and General All Eye Exhibiting at PCA 2024. So we talked about this a little a couple of weeks ago with STG and Forge showing up. And basically, it, it, it sounds like from this article that maybe I was right, that because Alec Bradley had already paid the deposit on the booth space, that now they have to go. They did the same thing last year, and I had forgotten about this when we talked about it. They did the same thing when they bought Room 101 the year before. Yes, but it was a very, very small booth. Yeah. And, you know, Matt didn't even have any of his cigars ready to give out at that point. Right. From Forged. So, um, Altadis is going to be showing there under the Ford, or their, Altadis is going to be bringing their lineup. Right. Drew Estate's only going to be bringing the Hoyas. And Scandinavian's going to be doing the Forged slash Alec yeah. Bradley stuff. So, it's still kind of limited, but they are coming back to the show. Yeah. And and Altadis is is a similar kind of thing where it's uh it's just a small limited booth based on something that the a contractual obligation they already had on the table, right? Did I read that? Um, I didn't see that because okay. they didn't they didn't really buy anybody this year. That's right. But I wonder if it's peer pressure. I wonder if it's okay. General's going to be there with Forge, so do we need to be there with our particular brands? I wonder if there was a peer pressure element to that, if that may be, you know, in Drew Estate. Drew Estate's been trying to rebrand and push the Hoya brand. Yeah. The rep's been in here a couple of times, and he's always kind of talking about trying to to get breathe new life in the Hoya brand, which are excellent cigars. They're just not top of mind. They're not something people go... Have you had the new Hoya, the lighter one that they came out, the blue I have label? Not. It's... I don't think it deserves the Hoya name. No, no kidding. It's a good cigar, but it, it's just way too mild to, to be a Hoya. Well, it's going to be a exciting time at the show to see how these turn out, how they end up doing this. Um, you know, Altadis, when we first opened the shop, they came in, they did real well, but they were all we could get in a hurry. Right. And as we've got more boutique stuff in and a little more bespoke cigars, they've kind of fell off the lines somewhat, as you would expect they would. So I'll be interested to see how this all 
this all shakes out. But speaking of the PCA, PCA announces the launch of the Diplomatic Cigar Corps. I really like this. I think this has been a long time coming. Well, it's nice to see PCA getting off their their heels and doing something. Yeah. It seems like we always all we ever talk about with the PCA is the show. Right. And, you know, they do stuff with the cigar legislation, which is important, but it's not real flashy. So the Diplomatic Cigar Corps will foster cultural, social, and economical importance of the premium cigar industry through meetings. And they're going to have Honduras Ambassador to the United States, Javier Busodo. They're going to have Soniz Gosman from the Dominican And they're going to have several people from all over. You know, they've got a lot of them. Um, Leo Mateo Hernandez from the Embassy of the Dominican Republic. Ricardo Lopez of the Honduran Embassy. Um, They've got a lot of people coming into this. So this is a good move because you don't really want American cigars to be so insulated from the rest of the world. Right. Especially when we rely on the people from those nations to make the cigars that we enjoy. This is the sort of thing that I think PCA should be doing. I agree. I will absolutely think that this is a smart move from the PCA. Now, on to our cigar conversation. I sent this article to you. This is from Live Science. And what if humans were twice as intelligent? See, this is something that you and I have debated a few times to a certain extent. I think once or twice even on the show. You think the average person is a lot smarter than I think they are. True. I tend, you, to, I tend to give more credit to the average person. Which is funny, because in other aspects of our debates, it goes the opposite way. This is the one area where you're playing on you know, the part of the people. Well, the premise of this whole article was, okay, the average, the average IQ is 100. Right. And, and that's how the scale was designed. Right. And what if all of a sudden the average IQ was 200? Now, it's theorized that one in every 10 billion people will have an IQ of 200. Um, Notably, they mentioned the only, you know, there's 7 billion people on the earth that we may not have seen a 200 yet. Right. But notably acknowledged as one of the smartest people in history of man was um, Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton, and that he never took the test, but he was estimated to have that 200 IQ. And he gave us gravity and different theories of relativity and calculus and things like that. So here's my question for you. So the result, well, let me, let me get a little deeper into the weeds of this article. The reason neurologically they talk about why some people are smarter than others is the way your brain makes connections. And people who are smarter's brain makes longer connections. And let's, let's take a second to establish some definitions here because this comes up anytime intelligence talks about you know, being able to recite and understand mathematical calculations is not a sign of intelligence. Um, trivia and being able to recite you know, answers to stupid questions, that's not intelligence. Intelligence is knowing not to eat a microphone cord, Benny. Uh, (laughs) uh, Intelligence is the ability to learn. Well, and it's also the ability to apply your knowledge, you Uh, know. But learn to to understand and um, grasp new concepts. All of that is, is really what intelligence is. It's not just what you know. It's your ability to learn new things. I've often, you know, thought that maybe the difference in how much I think everybody is more intelligent is all of my life I've dealt with craftsmen. Yeah. I've dealt with men that could look at a roof pitch and tell you how to cut the rafters for that roof pitch. Right. I've dealt with good trim guys that knew how to make trim look like a million dollars. I've dealt with people... Because lumber is an imperfect device, and it takes a craftsman to make something beautiful out of an imperfect device. So there's a... I wonder if that colors some of it. Because to me, intelligence is not just having the knowledge. It's being able to apply the knowledge in a useful manner. Yeah, and I I think that's... I, I think that definitely has to be part... You know, one of the smartest people I've ever known read at a sixth grade reading level. Right. You know, it's... it This... 
what we've determined, you know, intelligence to mean with, you know, book learning, so to speak, is not, is not the measure of intelligence. I know people who can, um, you know, who can play a song on the guitar after hearing it once. That requires a certain level of intelligence in addition to some other talents. So what the, what this, um, article highlighted was what would be the result of everyone's intelligence doubling of all of a sudden everyone's intelligence doubling necessarily would not change social skills no it in anybody who's ever met somebody extremely intelligent and someone extremely dumb knows that social uh acumen and actual intellect are rare rarely go hand in hand well it's so rare that we get a smart politician because that you have to have a tremendous amount of social skills to be a politician and that doesn't necessarily flow as intelligence on a on a scale and that's not to say that you're more socially inept if you're more intelligent and vice versa that you're more socially aware if you're less intelligent but i think the point is those two things just aren't linked they also bring up self-actualization that intelligent people tend to recognize the benefits of being healthy, of exercising, of eating well, of doing, th- you know, taking care of their selves. Intelligence also tends, to, or intelligent people also tend to be able to to think in a wider scale than than less intelligent people. So let's get to the end. They said, you know, the downsides, loss of faith. Not saying that smart people don't have religion. But if you look at the scale of people that score high, they're less religious-based. The the statistics bear out that more intelligent people tend to be less religious. The downside of it is if everybody was more intelligent, we would have more intelligent criminals. Well, so my question to you would be in a slightly different way. I didn't get to that part of the article. Do you think we'd end up with more Bruce Banners or more Lex Luthers? More Lex Luthers. Yeah, and I think that's a, a problem. We've already got Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, and we don't need a whole bunch of more of those people floating around. True. And, and we, have a, we also have intelligent people on other sides of the fence that are doing evil things. So here's my question for you. If I gave you the magic wand and said, Trey, you can wave this wand and double the intelligence of everybody on the planet... Would you wave the wand? You know, my first thought... (laughs) My first thought was pretty easily a yes. And the more I've thought about it while we've been doing the show, I still think my answer is yes, but I I had to think about it. Because I think, by and large, if the majority of people increased their intellect to a point where they're able to see outside of themselves, where they're able to see the big picture good versus the immediate good. Cause that's another mark of intelligence is, you know, delayed gratification. And I think if we had some more of that, it would be a net benefit to society. It's a tough question for me because intelligence does not equate into happiness. You know, if you look at the life of Isaac Newton, And all, as I was doing the show prep, I was doing some research on the life of Isaac Newton. He did not like people. And most of the things you hear of him interacting with other scientists and people was via mail. He didn't really care to sit and talk to people. So would everybody being smarter increase our happiness? Would people be happier? Because... Yeah, getting stuff is great and getting space travel, you know, having smarter people working on space travel and having smarter people working on feeding the hungry and world, you know, world issues and things like that would benefit society. But would we be any happier? I think so, because I wonder how many people out there are fascinated by, let's say, for example, physics but don't possess the capacity to learn and truly understand physics. If you now possessed the, the capability to understand those concepts and to learn them, and I think you would be happier by default. 
Now, but this goes back to a basic philosophical difference that you and I have. I think everyone is smart enough to learn physics. I just think other factors keep them from doing it. They decide, oh, I'm not smart enough to do that. Hence, they're never able to do it. No, there are you. You you have to believe though that there are some. We already know that there are some really dumb people in the world. Now, you and I disagree on the number, but there are some really dumb people that don't possess the capacity to think in multiple dimensions. That's just not the way their brain is wired. You can... There There becomes a certain point where you have to have a baseline, either intelligence or aptitude for something. And there exist people on this planet who... Um, Major Winchester said it best uh, when he was talking about music. You have a gift. He says you can you can play the I I can play I can play the notes, but I can't play the music, and that comes that, that that's part of this dog is so, distracting me so bad. Um, he. You know, when it comes to other intellectual concepts, I think there are people out there that can they can read the words on the page, but they can't think in those terms. Is it that they can't think or that they're limited by their own beliefs? I've known a lot of people that were very smart. You know, I, one of my uncles is brilliant welder. He can weld anything. He can make anything. Anything he has a problem with, he can come up with an answer. Now, it won't be the straightest route to solving those problems, but he can come up with an answer to those problems. But he doesn't consider himself an intelligent person to go patent something that he makes in order to, to sell it abroad or put it out for marketing and things like that. Well, but I think... I think there's some of that. I think there are some people that are limited by their understanding of their intelligence level. But I think, you know, because the other aspect that you, that the article doesn't touch on that I think we've maybe neglected as well is you're still going to have lazy people because laziness and intelligence are not linked either. But if you show, you know, it's my weight loss thing. If I said to somebody, hey, you need to lose 50 pounds, the chances of them losing 50 pounds is small. But if I told somebody, I'll give you $10,000 to lose 50 pounds, nine out of 10 people would lose 50 pounds. Yeah, but not all of the great pursuits of intellect are come with a monetary reward. Are, yeah, there's, there's certain, you do have to have a certain amount of reward for its own sake right. involved in that. But let's wrap it up. What do you think about the leaf? This is your first leaf. Give me your... I was really liking it until about 10 minutes ago, and then it turned bitter bad. Hmm. It just kind of almost stale, kind of like it, you know, when you let a cigar go out and come back. I don't know if it's something happened, my palate just changed, or if it just it got so close to the end that it, I don't know, all of a sudden it turned really bitter, it, which, so I was enjoying it for the first two thirds, and the back third is, is kind of telling me it's time to put it down. I've just never gotten there... And, and cigars will do that. Cigars will tell you, hey, the flavor's changing because you're just you're flying too close to the sun, Icarus. I just wouldn't have expected to get there with three inches to go. Yeah, your favorite part of the cigar. Right. So what would you rate it? A, f- A five. So history in this shop has kind of bared out your results in that when they first came in, we couldn't keep them on the shelves. But they've kind of died off. I don't, I'm not in a hurry to have another one. Sales have really slowed. I do, on a night when you're on a clean palate and feeling adventurous, I do want you to smoke the Sumatra. I will definitely do that. I think the Sumatra might treat you differently. It would be, it'd be worth a second smoke. I think you could get it up to a five and a half, maybe even a six on a second smoke. All right. Yeah. So the Dorado, it's six, six and a half all day long. And in the Figurado, it's a six and a half. I mean, the Figurado, if you've not smoked it in the Figurado, it's the shape, it's the flavor. Once you get past that first third and get past the 
where the foot of it is tapered and get to where it's really drawing and you're getting that flavor is just outstanding. I'll have to pick one of those up for the show next week. It's a absolutely great cigar. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigar cast, uh, Instagram and Twitter at the cigar cast and email info at the cigar cast.com. And I happen to know we've picked up at least a handful of new listeners this week. So for those of you who are listening to us for the first time, welcome. Hope you're enjoying it. If you give us a, a if, if you do us a favor, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to us and throw a rating down, especially if you think we're worthy of five stars. We'd really appreciate it. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.